Women have played a significant role in our society and culture through time. So let's take a look at the history from the women's side. I'm your host, Brittany, and welcome to Her Story Sessions. The Jolly Roger was not something most wanted to see while sailing the high seas. Unless it was flying from your own ship, of course. The adventure, the freedom of the ocean, and the promise of treasure were irresistible to some. Including plenty of women. Some women married pirates, as they were usually incredibly wealthy, obviously. And in seaside towns, women were innkeepers and ran alehouses pirates would frequent. They would trade in pirated goods, and some of these women would even hide their pirate clients when the authorities would show up looking for them. Others would join the pirate crews themselves, often dressing and acting as men to hide the fact that they were women. There were plenty of superstitions about having a woman aboard a ship, and some crews did not welcome them in any way. There are a few examples of women pirates we do know about today, though, because they were either found out or they did not hide in the first place. Being high-born didn't stop women from taking up pirating either. Referred to as Saida Alhira, this pirate queen used piracy more for revenge than actual material wealth, although the latter certainly didn't hurt. This was not her actual name, but rather a title that was either misinterpreted or purposefully left out by Christian writers. Saida is the female form of the Said, meaning Lord, and Alhera means the honored, and was usually given to a woman in a position of independent power. Her real name might have been Aisha, but there's no way to be sure. She was born in Andalusia in southern Spain in 1485 to a Muslim noble named Mole Ali Ibn Rashid al-Alami, and his wife Zara, a Christian-born Spaniard who had converted to Islam. When she was seven, Queen Isabella and King Ferdinand's Grand Reconquista swept through the Spanish peninsula in an effort to drive out all of the Muslims, and Saida and her family were forced to flee their home. She held a grudge against them for driving her from her childhood home for the rest of her life. They settled in Chefchouan, a few miles inland of the coast of Morocco. Many refugees settled here, and the city became known as the Blue Pearl for the distinctive shade they would paint the outer walls of the buildings. She spent the rest of her childhood here and received an education in languages, theology, mathematics, and other disciplines. Sometime after 1500, she wed Abu Hassan al-Mandari, who was 30 years older than her, in a diplomatic arranged marriage. He was the head of one of the other noble families that had fled Spain. Although the marriage had been arranged, they seemed to develop a genuine affection feelings for each other and worked as partners to improve the city of Tetuan. The old city of Tetuan is nowadays a UNESCO World Heritage Site, preserving the buildings that Saida and Abu Hassan had built. Saida's husband taught her a lot and treated her more as a co-governor than as a wife who should stay home. So when he passed away in 1515, she took the power on her own. This is when she became known as Saida Alhura Hakimit Tetuan, literally the Honorable Great Lady Governor of Tetuan. While it was unusual for women in Islamic society to rule, it wasn't unheard of. So long as a woman was competent and able to do their job, that was enough. Now is when that grudge against the Christian Spanish monarchs came into play. Her idea was that Tetuan had been a pirate base before, so why couldn't it be again? 
This first step of her plan was to send envoys west to arrange a plan with Aruk Rees, the king of the Mediterranean pirates. He worked as a privateer for Muslim rulers, only attacking their enemies' ships and kicking back some of the profit to them. He had also helped to ferry Muslim refugees from Spain to Africa between 1504 and 1510. Because of this, he became known as Baba Aruk, meaning Father Aruk. This became the name we know him by best, Barbarossa. So she made an agreement with Barbarossa that he would control the eastern half of the Mediterranean and she would control the west. Portuguese traders in particular bore the brunt of her raids and she was soon hated by them. According to the Spanish historian German Vasquez Chamarro, the Portuguese prayed for God to allow them to see her hanged from a ship's mast, but as she never led the raids herself and rather managed things from behind the scenes, that was unlikely to happen. She negotiated the ransoms for captives and once even captured the wife of a Portuguese governor, which earned her a rather large payment. Meanwhile, Barbarossa fought to take control of Algiers from the Spaniards. He joined the Ottoman Empire to secure protection and with their aid was able to hold it, but Barbarossa was killed during the fighting. His brother, known as Hayreddin, which means goodness, took his position and continued the alliance with Saida. She continued her pirate raids for decades, and at the peak of her career was the raid of Gibraltar in 1540. At this point in time, Charles V, the Holy Roman Emperor, was on the Spanish throne. Saida and Hayreddin planned a joint expedition to take the Rock of Gibraltar. This was a soft target where fortifications had crumbled without repair despite the importance of location for the Spanish. This is where the maintenance and repair on their fleet was done, mostly by Turkish slaves who were not well guarded. In 1540, there was a mass breakout, and the escapees went to Algiers, which was under Hayridden's control. They offered critical information to them, and the slave that had led the escape was put in charge of the raid, and the fleet, partially made up of Saida's ships, was led by an Ottoman admiral. The invaders freed a large number of Turkish slaves, while also capturing at least 70 locals, along with 15 crewmen from the two merchant ships that came into harbor during the raid. They then withdrew with less than 20 casualties on their side. The captives were then either ransomed off or sold as slaves. Saida's power over the so-called Barbary pirates made her a power to be reckoned with in the Muslim kingdoms of North Africa. The Wadisid Sultan of Morocco proposed a marriage alliance to her, and she dictated her own terms for the arrangement, even having the ceremony in Tetuan, which was an unprecedented display of deference on his part. As this was merely a diplomatic arrangement, the two of them continued living in their own capitals after that. Saida ruled for over 30 years as governor, but war with Portugal had destabilized trade in the city, and she was overthrown in 1542. Even after she was gone, the Tetuan people kept pirating until a retaliatory raid by the Portuguese destroyed their harbor in 1565. She went back to her childhood home of Chefchuan, where she lived for another 20 years. Saida Alharo was not the only pirate queen to exist. Grace O'Malley, also known as the Irish Pirate Queen, and came from a powerful clan family that ruled along the coast. She was born around 1530 at a time when the English were trying to expand into Ireland and received a high level of education, most likely growing up on Clare Island just off the coast of Mayo County in Ireland. 
Although she had a half-brother, she was the only child of Owen O'Malley, the chieftain of the clan, and by his wife, Margaret, making Grace, quote, considered to be the legal retainer of the family land and seafaring activities. She learned about maritime trade from her father, although she was never allowed to go on any of his expeditions. In 1546, she married Donal O'Flaherty and lived in Bunowen Castle, and this was likely where she began her activities in shipping and trade in earnest. She had three children with him, and in 1565, Donal was killed in an ambush while hunting, a result of a power struggle with another clan. Grace returned to Clare Island, where she grew up, taking many of the O'Flaherty crewmen with her. She allegedly took a shipwrecked sailor as a lover there, although it was short-lived, with him being killed by the Mahans of Ballyvoy. Grace took vengeance by attacking Duna Castle and killed those that had killed her lover. This earned her the nickname Dark Lady of Duna. Around the time of her husband's death, the English Council in Dublin got their first complaints that her ships were acting like pirates. In an attempt to appease them, she offered 200 men to serve in their army. Meanwhile, she was pillaging their ships as far away as Waterford. <laughs> she then married again to Richard the Iron Bork in 1566 and ended up having one son with him. She even supposedly gave birth while on a ship, and an hour later when they were attacked, she tied her son to her back, picked up a sword, and rallied her men to fight, ultimately taking the attacking ship for herself. His territory was along the North Shore and Clue Bay, where Rockfleet Castle was located. This is where they lived and where she based her headquarters. Later, she decided she wasn't happy with her revenge against the McMahons yet, and she sailed for Ballycroy, attacking the garrison at Duna Castle, overpowering them, and taking the castle for herself. She faced struggles against Lord Richard Bingham, an English lord that was appointed to oversee the Irish chieftains. He took a more confrontational approach to assimilating the Irish into the anglicizing English kingdom, rather than the more cooperative policies the Tudors had put in place. In a letter protesting Grace's claims against him, he wrote she was, quote, nurse to all rebellions in the province for this 40 years. In 1593, Sir Bingham captured her two sons and half-brother, imprisoning her half-brother Donal and the youngest son Tibbet, and killed her oldest son Owen. Grace led a rebellion against this, but was captured. She was later released and fled to, into exile for a time. When Bingham was sent away to aid the Dutch against the Spanish, Grace pleaded with John Perrow, the Lord Deputy of Ireland, and he granted her family pardons. Lord Bingham was recalled to Ireland in 1588, and rather than make peace as he was ordered, he went back to his confrontations with Grace and her now late husband's family. Her lands at Carrighowie were wrecked. Her youngest son continued to rebel in an attempt to defend them, but Bingham successfully confiscated or destroyed her lands and impounded her ship at Clue Bay. Tibbet was forced to surrender. Grace, fearing for her son, pleaded with Elizabeth I. They met in 1593 at Greenwich Palace, surrounded by Elizabeth's guards and royal court members. Grace refused to bow to the queen, as she stated she did not recognize her as the Queen of Ireland and there was therefore not her subject. Grace also had a small dagger that was found on her by the guards, which worried the courtiers. But when she explained she was carrying it for personal protection, the queen accepted this and seemed to not be bothered by it at all. Grace did not speak English, and Queen Elizabeth did not speak Irish, 
so they spoke Latin for the meeting. After a long discussion, the two women came to an agreement. Lord Bingham would be removed from Ireland, and Grace would stop supporting the Irish lords' rebellions. But the property and land that Bingham had taken had not been returned, and Bingham soon returned to Ireland afterward, where he continued his crusades against Grace. Bingham was imprisoned in 1595 for continued defiance of his sovereign's orders. Grace lived to her 70s despite her adventurous life. Anne Chambers, who wrote a biography of Grace in 2006, described her as a fearless leader, by land and by sea, a political pragmatist and politician, a ruthless plunderer, a mercenary, a rebel, a shrewd and able negotiator, the protective matriarch of her family and tribe, a genuine inheritor of the mother goddess and warrior queen attributes of her remote ancestors. Above all else, she emerges as a woman who broke the mold and thereby played a unique role in history. Anne Bonny is another woman that took up piracy and is relatively well-known today. Also from Ireland, she was born sometime around 1697 to William McCormack and his servant Mary Brennan. Once she was born, her father moved them to London to hide the affair from his wife and her family and dressed Anne as a boy, calling her Andy and claiming that Andy was the son of a distant relative. When she was around 10, the secret was discovered and so they left for America. Her mother died a couple of years later, and then when she was 16, she married a small-time pirate named James Bonney. Her father, who did not approve of James, disowned her for this, and Anne and James left for Nassau on the New Providence Island, a safe haven for pirates at the time. When Woods Rogers was appointed governor of Barbados and tasked with solving the piracy problem in 1718, James became an informant for him. Anne did not approve of this. She then began an affair with John Calico Jack Rackham, and when James refused Calico Jack's offer to buy Anne via divorce by purchase, a loophole of selling wives to another man at the time when divorce was illegal, Anne disguised herself as a man and joined his crew with only Calico Jack knowing the truth about her identity. In 1720, their crew gained another new member by the name of Mark Reed and became good friends with Anne, who was going by Andy. Mark, actually Mary Reed, who was born from an affair in England in 1685, was also dressed as a boy when she was young. Her mother had been married to a sailor and had a baby son, but then her husband was lost at sea and her son died right before she gave birth to Mary. Her mother was in a financially desperate situation, and so she passed Mary off as her older brother in order to keep collecting an allowance from her late husband's mother. Then when Mary was a teenager, she again dressed in men's clothes and joined the English military. She met and fell in love with a Flemish soldier while serving, and they ended up marrying and opening an inn called the Three Horseshoes in the Netherlands. A few years later, when her husband died, she joined a merchant ship headed for the Caribbean, again disguised as a man. This ship was captured by pirates whom she willingly joined. Later, she accepted a king's pardon and took a privateer commission, but then the crew mutinied, and she became a pirate again, now joining up with Calico Jack's crew, where both Andy and Mark revealed to each other that they were actually Anne and Mary, respectively. They grew close enough that Jack became jealous, and they had to tell him Mary's true identity to keep him from cutting her throat. Jack and his crew became notorious for their success, and the British Navy commander, Captain Jonathan Barnett, was tasked with the capturing him and his crew. When he caught up to the ship, they were hosting a rum party, and only Anne and Mary fought off the attack with the rest too drunk to fight and hiding in the hold. 
The entire crew was captured and taken to Port Royal in Jamaica for trial. All were found guilty and sentenced to hang. Anne and Mary, both pregnant, pleaded the belly, a plea to delay their sentence until they they had given birth. Supposedly, Anne's last words to Jack were, Had you fought like a man, you need not have been hanged like a dog. Mary ended up passing away of fever while in prison, possibly a result of childbirth. There is no record of what happened to Anne, but there is plenty of speculation, including that her father used his influence to get her out of jail and that she went back home where she lived out the rest of her life. Across the world, we have another pirate who just might be the most impressive one of all. This was Ching Shi, who came to command a massive pirate fleet, the largest in human history, which was called the Red Flag Fleet, that was so powerful it posed threats to entire countries. Not much is known about her childhood, except she was born in 1775 in the Guangdong province of China during the Qing Dynasty, and that her birth name was maybe Shilsheng Zhu. The name Qing Shi is actually translated to Cheng's widow, and this is how she is referred to in official records. She became a sex worker at a floating Cantonese brothel, where she was famous for using her pillow talk to influence men, and rose through the ranks, quickly possibly becoming the madam of the house. While here, she met the famous pirate Cheng Yi. They were married in 1801, and she became an equal partner of his, commanding the fleet together. While they were together, the fleet grew from 200 ships at the start to more than 600, and then eventually to somewhere between 1,700 and 1,800 ships. They also joined with pirate Wu Xier to form the Cantonese Pirate Coalition. They color-coded their fleet, with the lead fleet being red, hence the name Red Flag Fleet, which had 300 ships and more than 40,000 men. The rest were organized into black, white, blue, yellow, and green fleets. The leaders of these fleets all had personal or familiar ties to Cheng Yi, ensuring loyalty. Six years into their marriage, Cheng Yi died suddenly, most likely in a storm. Ching Shi took complete control of the fleet, which at this point had somewhere between 50,000 and 70,000 pirates. Ching Shi was very strict and regimented, focusing on business and military strategy. Her sailors were a well-organized, tight-knit group that were difficult to defeat. While their rules were strict, she also had laws and taxes to protect the sailors. Any plunder that was seized had to be presented and registered before distributing. Whichever ship had captured the treasure got 20%, while the remaining 80% was added to the fleet's collective fund. Remember, the fleets numbered in the several hundreds, so this was a fairly good amount to them. Her rules included the following. Pirates who gave unsanctioned orders or refused to follow orders were executed on the spot, Stealing from the public fund of captured goods or money or raiding villages that supported pirates was punishable by death. All captured goods, money, or slaves had to be presented for inspection. The rewards were handed out in a predetermined way. It was absolutely prohibited to have sex or rape female captives. Punishment for having sex with or raping them was death. Various other offenses were punishable by flogging, ironing, quartering, and mutilation. This last one was saved almost exclusively for deserters. So, it was in a sailor's best interest to stick to following the rules, because in most cases, not doing so was a risk to your life. For the female captives, they were either ransomed or freed. But if a sailor just so happened to fall in love with a female captive, and she with him, they would be allowed to marry so long as he had the means to provide for her. 
He was bound to be faithful and to protect her, and anyone caught to be unfaithful was punished by, you guessed it, execution. Ching Shi took control of many coastal villages from Macau to Canton, a more than 66-mile stretch, imposing levies and taxes on some of them, and using the villages that allied with her as supply spots. She used her forces to take control of all but four of the government's merchant ships that traded in salt, and rather than selling off the salt in the ships, forced these ships and their crews to continue their trading, keeping most of the profits for her and her men. With this, she took complete control of the salt trade routes along the sea. Other ships she didn't control would pay for protection along these routes, trusting the pirates to keep them safe more than the Chinese Navy. She was known as the Terror of South China and was even a threat to the navies from China, Portugal, Great Britain, and all others, all of which who lost naval ships to her. None of these countries had a good solution as how to get rid of her, so in 1810, the Chinese took advantage of the pirate alliance breaking up and offered amnesty to all the pirates, hoping to convince her into retirement. After negotiations, she left behind pirating with all of her loot, 120 ships, and a full royal pardon from Emperor Chaoqing for her, all of her men, and official positions for her subordinate leaders. After returning to land, she ran several local brothels and organized smuggling and gambling establishments, living in Canton until she was 69 years old when she passed away in her sleep. So, these women all proved their worth on the high seas, showing how tough a woman can be in a dangerous career. I hope you enjoyed learning about these pirating women and their lives. That's it for today, and thank you for attending this Her Story session. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Her Story Session, and be sure to click follow for more episodes.